Well, welcome to our morning service here from Elgin Baptist Church. Thank you very much for joining with us. As we gather this morning, I invite you to, along with many in our nation, uh, to take time to remember those who gave their lives in the quest for the freedom in which we live. They shall not grow old as we are that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Father, we give thanks for all who in the pursuit of freedom and justice have given their lives in conflict. We pray for those for whom today is tinged with great sorrow and sadness as they remember loved ones who never came home. We pray, Father, for those who grieve lost colleagues and for those who are still suffering the physical, the emotional and the mental agony of everything that they endured. We pray, Father, for the world in which we live today, where strife and turmoil and uncertainty seem to reign. We pray this morning for our armed forces, for our police and for all emergency services, for our NHS and all who strive to keep us safe, secure and well. We also pray for our Queen, thanking you for her faith. And we pray for all governments that you would enable them to rule wisely and fairly for all peoples. And Father, we pray for peace, recognising that ultimately true peace is found only in your Son, Jesus Christ, who, as your word reminds us, laid down his life for us so that we might know the greatest of all freedoms, freedom from sin, and the greatest of all peace, peace with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our opening song is Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean, followed by O oh, to See the Dawn. Well, boys and girls, I wonder if you know what this is called. I'm sure you do, and I'm sure that you've seen many people wearing them this past week. It is, of course, called a poppy. And we wear them particularly in this past week and, and today so that we remember everybody who died uh, to give us the freedom in which we now live. And it's good, isn't it, to remember people who have done so much for us. And it's good to have all the freedom that we so much enjoy and maybe sometimes take for granted. But the poppy reminds us that somebody had to pay for that freedom. And as I think on that, I am reminded about Jesus, 
Because Jesus died to bring to us all the greatest of all freedoms. Freedom from sin. Because when we trust in Jesus, Jesus promises to forgive us and to make us free. Jesus said in John 8 verse 36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let us sing about how Jesus has forgiven us and has set us free as we sing the salvation poem. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love towards us. And we pray that you would help us to love you. We thank you for the freedom that you promised to us. And we pray each one of us, irrespective of how old or how young we might be, that we might know that freedom this morning. Freedom from sin and peace with God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning's reading is taken from 2 Thessalonians 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 12. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 to 12. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We always ought to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We give thanks to God for his precious holy and inspired word. Before we look at that word together, I'm going to sing another hymn in Christ alone. Let us pray. 
our God and Father, we come to you in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the good shepherd, the one who is the chief shepherd, the one who laid down his life for the sheep. And as we come to you, our God and Father, we come acknowledging that, that you are God and beside thee there is none other. You are the altogether Holy One. You rule and you reign. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that as we look out into a world that is caught up in, in so much uncertainty, we thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and you are seated upon your throne. We come to thank you for all your blessings towards us. We give you thanks, Lord, as we've already thought this morning on the freedom in which we live. And we pray, Father, for those who do not enjoy such freedom. We pray, Lord, that you would draw near to them and bless them and comfort them. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can come and we, we recognise that everything that we have is of you. Please forgive us when we take things for granted. We want to pray, Father, for our nation. We pray that as this uh, coronavirus just uh, refuses, as it were, to go away, we, we think on how uh, parts of the, the nation are in lockdown and, and, and parts of, of our country is in, in different stages and different tiers and, and the effect that it is having on, on people of all ages, Lord. And we pray for all who are suffering in whatever way from the effects of it this morning. And we ask, oh God, that, that you would move in power. We pray, oh God, that, that you would cause it to, to be gone. We, we, we pray for the eradication of it, Lord. We know you only need to say a word, Lord. And we, Father, we pray, Father, uh, that it will be gone and, and that we would know uh, what it is to, to enjoy all the, the freedoms and, and all the lack of uh, regulations that we've had to endure these past seven months. So, Father, we do come to you and, and we pray to, that, that you would move in this area. We pray, Father, for our governments. We pray that you would grant them wisdom and discernment. We think on, on the situation in America, Lord, and, and we pray, Father, for, for your will to be done and for your man to be appointed in to the presidency there. And as we turn now to your word, Lord, we pray that you would minister to us. We pray, Father, that, for, that you would just block out any distractions as we come now uh, to hear what the word of God says. So hear our prayers, Lord. Bless us and be with us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me begin with a confession. I am not a fan of uh, such film franchises like um, Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings. Many of them can go kind of beyond the sell-by date. I, I had to Google, but apparently uh, the Rocky franchise ran to six plus two spin-offs, apparently called Creed. Uh, these kind of films just uh, don't float my boat. Now, Crocodile Dundee, well, that's something 
completely different. You see, friends, sequels, follow-ons, are not always what they are cracked up to be. However, that can never be the case with the Word of God. For the last 12 weeks, I think it is, longer than I anticipated, but nothing new there, we have been looking at Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And as I found it so, so thrilling and, and, and so challenging, and I trust that you did also, then it made sense to go on and to look at his second letter. Paul is writing this just a short time after the first letter. Uh, some, some of the commentaries reckon that it's not much more than six months. And it seems that his two main aims in writing are to, one, encourage the church as they continue to go through persecution, and two, to correct a misunderstanding concerning the return of the Lord Jesus. We, we noted the, the importance of this great truth, uh, the return of the Lord Jesus, in the first letter. And it is the same here in this short second letter. Indeed, one writer has noted that out of the 18, out of the 47 verses, deal in one way or other with the subject of Jesus returning. There are certain similarities with the letters, especially in verses 1 and 2 with, with the second letter as with the first. Indeed, the greeting that Paul makes to them is almost identical. And it serves to remind us, friends, that any true church is rooted and grounded in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus. And as we look at these verses this morning, I, I want us to consider three things. Firstly, from verses 3 and 4, we read of praising. In verses 5 to 10, we read of judging. And in verses 11 to 12, we read of praying. Praising, judging, and praying. Firstly, praising. You will notice that verses 3 to 4 mirror very much of what Paul said in verse 2 of chapter 1 in the first letter. You can tell as you read this letter just how much Paul loves this church. How, how much the people meant to him. And we ought always to thank God for you, he says. That is, it is the right thing to do to give thanks to God for who you are and for what you are doing. And he tells us, if you look closely, you will see he tells us at least three reasons as to why he thanks God for this church. One, their faith is growing more and more. Two, their love for one another is increasing. And three, they are persevering amidst great persecution. This church is faithful. This church is loving. And this church is persevering. And Paul recognises that. And in recognising it, he gives thanks to God for them. It's interesting that Paul remarks here on these three particular qualities. For if you look back at chapter 3 in the first letter, you will see that Paul told them that this is what he was specifically praying for them. In verse 10 of chapter 3 in the first letter, we pray that what may be lacking in your faith. Verse 12, we pray that the Lord would increase, cause your love to increase and overflow for each other. 
And in verse 5, he, he was afraid that they may be tempted away through the persecution that they were enduring. But you see, news has reached them that that is not the case. And so not only is he commending the church for their growth in faith, for their love and perseverance, but he is also giving thanks to God for answered prayer. This is why he has been praying for them. And God has answered that prayer. Here's two really uh, simple applications. Forgive perhaps the simplicity of them, but um, here they are. Firstly, if you are a Christian this morning, how are you progressing in your faith in God? And how are you growing in love for your fellow brother and sister? Only you can answer that. And we all know from time to time that we need to give ourselves a spiritual checkup. And what about persevering amidst persecution and trials, troubles, and difficulties? Now, we've got to be careful because the persecution suffered here is due primarily to their faith. Something that can be hard to understand. And Paul actually begins to unpack some of that in verses 5 to 10. And we'll come to that in a minute. And although at least not yet here in this country, we face persecution the way that they did here in Thessalonica, there are many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who this morning are suffering such persecution for their faith. And I urge you to remember them in prayer. However, how are you standing up amidst trial and difficulties? Because they come our way, don't they? And I would suggest to you that COVID and everything that it has entailed these last seven months falls into that category. How are you persevering? How are you enduring? Is your faith growing? While it has been greatly encouraging to hear uh, of many people tuning in to, to online services, and, and certainly at the beginning there was a, an uptake on, on the purchase of Bibles and, and more people were turning to pray, which is great. There is, a, there is, I fear, a flip side to that. Let me tell you what I mean. I recently finished reading through the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 2, the writer gives a very stark warning that I believe we all need to heed. He says this, We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Drifting is a dangerous business. I think I've told this story before of, of one sunny day down on uh, Watergate Beach in, in Newquay when the, the waves were all nice and still. My, my brother and I decided to, to go out on our polystyrene boards and just kind of float about in the stillness of the water and we just kind of began to drift 
drift and drift without really realising too much and then the tide turned and uh, he had to be rescued and, and well whatever but drifting is dangerous and it is easy to get into bad habits perhaps easier to get into bad habits than it is to keep good habits I wonder if over these past seven months you have found yourself drifting I've just skipped the service this morning no one's going to know I'll miss my Bible reading and quiet time with God and kind of pick it up again later brother, sister I encourage you to persevere to endure and if you have been drifting and you will know it you will know it then this morning right now return to the safe harbour of the Lord and drift no more the second thing and very quickly but no less important is that as we saw from the first letter this is what Paul was praying for them that their faith would grow that their love would increase that they would continue to persevere and God has answered that prayer and now what he is doing is he is publicly giving thanks to God for answered prayer it's a really simple point isn't it but how good am I how good are you how good are we at giving thanks to God for answered prayer may we be able to give thanks to God for one another may our faith grow may our love increase and may we persevere praising secondly we read of judging I have found verses 5 to 10 deeply encouraging but also deeply challenging and, and, and difficult. Not so much in their understanding, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will enlighten us all, but rather in the stark contrast that they present to us. You see, God as judge is not something that many people like to think about. Yet it is just as much and it is just as sure as his many other attributes and character. And in verse 5, Paul is in some ways addressing the question that Christians can often ask. Why am I suffering? And in some ways, the fact that we do suffer, and, and remember, we are primarily talking here of persecution for the gospel's sake, suffering for the sake and for the name of Jesus, is evidence that actually we are children of God. God often uses suffering. God often uses trials. God often uses persecutions to, to refine us. It's not evidence of God being against us, but for us. And it's why I often talk about the need for us to have a proper understanding of a theology of suffering. Why, God, am I going through this? 
And Paul, who, who wrote this letter, more than anyone, apart from probably the Lord Jesus himself, knew what it was to suffer. Yet, it is often in the trials that we are shaped. And in them and amidst them, we hold fast to many things. But here Paul is bringing out the justness of God. God knows what and God knows when and God knows why. We don't always see the bigger picture. We don't always understand. That's why we so often cry out, why this Lord? Why me? I wonder how many of us listening in this morning can, can look back at a particular trial or, or a particular time of testing and, and amidst, amidst it, as we were going through it, see no purpose whatsoever. But now, looking back, we see that God was using it in some way, perhaps to, to strengthen us, perhaps to shape us, perhaps even to rebuke us, perhaps to even draw us to a knowledge of him as Lord and Saviour, but primarily, as in all things, for his glory. We see that, do we not? most completely in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What possible good could come out of a crucified Jesus? Well, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 18 to 23. Talking of Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is a gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We don't always understand or even get answers to all of our trials, but we can be assured that God knows what he is doing. And we can hold fast to that even as he holds fast to us. Notice, notice the first three words of verse 6. And store these three little words in your mind. God is just. All the time. God is just. In Genesis 18, we, we have recorded there that the conversation between God and Abraham as, as they walk together and as they approach the cities 
of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 25, Abraham says this, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? It wasn't a question. It was a statement of fact based on both the justice and the mercy of God. And friend, that mercy and that justice is just as strong and real and true today as it was then. God is just. Then we have the stark contrast that I spoke about. And as we look at these verses, it, it, it speaks to us of the two sides, as it were, of God's judging. One is negative, one is positive. It presents to us uh, the only two ways in which any of us can live our lives. In that we are either walking with God through faith in Jesus Christ, or, or we are fighting against God and seeking to go our own way. That There is, friends, no middle ground. And as we look at these really solemn verses, we need to remind ourselves that, that, that this is the work of God. And I want to look at these verses under two subheadings. And one is retribution and the other is relief. Retribution and relief. Yet there is another question that perhaps needs to be asked first before we look at that. And that is, when will this retribution, when will this relief take place? Well, let the Bible speak for itself. Notice it. Have your Bible open with you. The second part of verse 7. This will happen, retribution, relief. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. When Jesus returns, and we'll look at that in much more detail next, next week unless he comes, but when Jesus comes, it will usher in the end of time and judgment will take place. Twice in these verses, Paul tells us that. Verse 10, on the day he comes to be glorified. So what of these two groups of people? There are those who believe and those who don't. There are those who, as we saw in, in the first letter, belong to the day and those who belong to the night. There are those, according here, who obey the gospel and those who don't. Well, for those who do not believe, verse 8, is crystal clear. He, God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, there only is one gospel. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 9 is one of the hardest verses. Because verse 9 clearly tells us the fate of those who refuse to believe. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the majesty of his power. Even as I say these words, I feel 
the awfulness of them, the, the hopelessness of them, the, the despair that they present. And, and, and let me just say, friends, that destruction is not annihilation. Death is not the end. And for those who die unbelieving, for those who die having rejected Christ, verse 9 is their eternal destiny. Shut out forever from the presence of God in a place the Bible calls hell. I'm not seeking to be hyper-emotional. I'm not seeking to be scaremongering. I'm seeking to plainly, somberly teach what God's word says. And I, I plead with you. If you have never turned to Jesus Christ, then wait not a second longer. Turn to him now. Otherwise, you will face this inescapable punishment. His grace and his mercy is more than sufficient to save you and to keep you. Turn to him and escape the retribution and the punishment that comes your way. For the believer, even amidst trials and persecution now, we can know present relief as we rest in God's justice and we look forward to eternal relief, to eternal rest and indeed unbridled joy when he comes. As Paul has made clear in these verses twice, when Christ appears, we who believe, we will not be shut out, but we will, get this, be shut in. We will be with him. We will behold his majesty and his power and his glory. As we were thinking on last week, our sanctification will not only be complete, but it will also lead to our glorification. Friends, these verses present Two clear choices. They couldn't be more starker. Retribution shut out eternally from God. Or relief and rest and shut in with him forever. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And if God is speaking to you, then respond. Because today, right now, is the day of salvation. Praising, judging, finally praying. Verses 11 to 12. Paul, not so much prays kind of for them, but tells them what he is praying for them. He's tying it in with everything that he has just been saying. And again, we see that the prayer, like so many of Paul's prayers, is centered on their spiritual well-being. He said, may they be counted worthy. 
You see, we can't earn the worthiness. It was while we were unworthy we were saved. But we can live in the light of it. It's a point Paul makes in Ephesians 4.1 where he calls us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Then he prays that God's power would enable them to fulfill every good purpose and every act of faith that they do. And friends, we need that power, the power of the Spirit, in order to live a worthy life, in order to fulfill every good purpose, and in order to carry out every act of faith. And verse 12 shows us that it is all to the glory of Jesus. You see, it's Jesus that we want people to see, not us. I mentioned at the beginning film sequels and how they play out. Friends, we only have one life. And how we live it out and what we do in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ will determine how and where it will be lived out in the life to come. Live no longer under retribution. Come to know the relief and the rest and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the assurance that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And this morning, may we all know what it is to stand forgiven at the cross. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it comforts, it encourages, but it also challenges. We think on this stark contrast that is laid before us this morning. And my prayer is, Lord, that for everyone listening in, they will know what it is to flee to Christ. But free to flee, as the first letter reminds us, from the wrath to come and to find peace and forgiveness, and rest, and joy, and life eternal in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. We conclude this morning by singing a hymn that in the final verse speaks of that time when with all the ransomed in glory we shall at last see Jesus face to face. How marvellous and how wonderful is his love. And now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest upon us and abide with us, Lord Jesus, until you come or call. Amen. Well, once again, thank you for taking the time to listen in this morning. If you would like to know more concerning the things that we've been looking at this morning, then please do get in touch with you. We would love 
to, to hear from you and, and, and help you and explain more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The details will appear on the screen. But once again, thank you very much and may God bless and protect you in this coming week.